0: Welcome to Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. Each week we sit down to discuss various topics concerning gynecologic cancers and women's health
1: care. In 2019, at the age of 32, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer and became painfully aware of just how unaware I was of everything down there. On this podcast, we interview experts, share personal
0: stories, and explore new research. No subject is off-limits, so
1: we caution you to listen at your own discretion. Welcome back. Happy Monday. We are in October. October. I wish the fall weather would get here. I do too. Florida's too stinking hot, if you ask me. I'm ready for fall. Yes, so... Thank you for joining us again. If you have been a longtime listener, if you've listened to us before, if you are brand new, welcome. We are down there aware and we think you should be too. (laughs) And uh, so thank you for joining us. And you know, if you like what you hear today, you can always subscribe to get updates so that every time we post an episode, which is generally every Monday around 9 a.m., You'll get a notification so you never miss an episode. And then also, if you really like what we're doing, rate us, uh, star rating on whatever platform you're using and give us a review. Make a couple comments, couple sentences. Boom, done. It really helps us um, get the word out about the podcast, you know, all those algorithms and things like that. So and last thing, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, Everywhere you can imagine, we are at Down There Aware. So, awesome. Yeah.
0: Our goal is to get the word out to, especially women, but men as well. And um, we need help doing that. So if our listeners will do like Alex said, rate us, write a review, those things, you know, in out in cyberspace, we're not real keen on how it all works, but we know the more of those things that happen, the more people listen. So um, that's our goal.
1: Absolutely. And today we're revisiting a topic that we have touched on, but that we really want to go into a little more depth about. And that is when patients themselves are blamed or made to feel bad, badly, that they have a disease. Yes, I
0: um I really thought more about this uh, as Alex said we we've touched on it, but I saw an interview and um, I was really drawn in to this woman who was talking. Uh, Katie Bowler had an interview with Hoda Kotb, and um, surprise, Mom <laughs> is watching the Today Show regularly. Yeah, the, I watch the Today Show every day. I tape it and um, or record it. I guess we're not taping anymore. I record it and I watch it when I'm able to because I like the people on it and I like the content and I learn a lot. Um, and this particular day, uh, someone named Kate Bowler was on. She was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at the age of 35. And, you know, we want to talk a lot about, um, young women in particular and being, uh, aware. And so this is one, uh, one more case of someone who was only 35 and, um, diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And her, she's written two books. Um, she wrote one in 2018 and she was on the show talking about the second book, but what I was drawn into was her, just her, um, attitude and her approach to life having been given this, uh, diagnosis and her prognosis was not good, uh, initially. Um, but she, she talks about a time and this is how we got to this topic today. She talks about having had surgery in the hospital and she'd been encouraged to get up and walk the halls and she was doing that. And she came upon a hospital bookstore um, went into the bookstore and was looking at the books and saw an abundance of self-help books that in her view were saying um, you can get better if you just have the right attitude or if you just um, are positive enough. And, you know, if you're not getting better, it's because you're not doing enough and, and pretty much blaming The patient for their own illness. And um, that really struck a nerve with me. And listening to someone who is going through so much and um, thinking about it from her perspective, uh, I was just really encouraged for us to discuss patient blaming on the podcast.
1: Well, and just the overall concept that a, a mentality or a frame of mind or Just general positivity is healing. Now, you know, we know there have been studies that are done that um, people's mindset can contribute to the healing of the body. Um, Prayer can contribute to the healing of the body. Um, Obviously, we don't know why, but they, they have done studies on it. But to say that that is what's going to heal you or you got a disease because you weren't positive enough is just Ludicrous. Yeah. And, and,
0: you know, good for her. Uh, She actually tells a really funny story about how she wheeled her IV, um, what do you call it, pole into the bookstore as she was walking and um, began to take the books off the shelf, the books that she thought shouldn't be there, the ones that were telling her and other patients that, um, they didn't have the right attitude or they'd be getting better. And um, she just continued to take the books off till the manager came over and said something to her about taking the books off. And she said, and I quote, you can't sell these books, which blame sick people for their own illness. You can't sell this to me. And good for her. Good for her for making a stand and standing up um, against that perception that we're in control of our bodies
1: well and I think you know certainly um my story is different than hers and um my experiences were different and um however I still kind of got that vibe from people of um everything happens for a reason it's okay we're gonna live in this realm of um you know, you you can, you can do it. You can be positive. You can do it. And in some ways it squashes the space for you to feel crappy about a crappy situation. And, you know, I think if, um, if anything, we should create more space so that we can let it out and feel those big negative emotions and then move forward in your treatment plan and whatever that may be. And, it will never end, right? There will always be difficulties and there will always be challenges. And yeah, you need to be, um, you don't want to be completely negative, like a negative Nelly or whatever. But I don't know, toxic positivity is just one of those things that just rubs me the wrong way, gets under my skin. (laughs) Well, and, and it is okay not to
0: be okay. Now, if you dwell in it, And it begins to make you sicker than you already were. Totally different. Uh, Yeah, totally different thing. Um, But you need to be able to feel your feelings. And it's important to experience those and share them and, you know, let them out. So uh, we're not saying it's not important to be positive. We're not saying it's, you know, that you shouldn't say, oh, I'm a warrior princess and I can do this. So, you know, we're not saying that those things are important as well, but we, um, shouldn't be blamed when those don't cure us.
1: Well, and I remember, um, the gynecologist who initially told me I was too young to get endometrial cancer. And after I was diagnosed, he asked me to come and see him just to talk. Um, and he was the first and one of the few physicians or medical personnel who just said, I'm sorry. hmm And it was like everybody else was, you have this disease. We need to heal it. We need to figure out a treatment plan. We need to be positive about your outlook. Boom, boom, boom. And he let me sit there and hear, I'm sorry because this sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think also with him, his I'm sorry, involved a lot of guilt for himself for what he had said, but it was also, I'm sorry that this happened to you. I'm sorry you got this type of cancer.
0: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for what he, I, I think he was thinking too. Sorry for what he said. Sorry you got the cancer, but also sorry that he was not the one to give you the diagnosis. There was uh, a lot of sorry uh, in yeah. that room,
1: and but he was, but my he point was is he was genuine and he was the only one and you know. The first gynecologic oncologist that I met with, um, who actually did my surgery, who I no longer see, uh, she, I never felt any form of empathy from her ever. It was very clinical. Um, I, I get some doctors are like that, but when you're in oncology, you can't really be like that.
0: Well, and not only was there no empathy, um, she was, she, was always in a hurry. She, she didn't allow you time to sit with her. Um, so it worked out well that you didn't end up having her for lo- any longer than you did. Um, I came across along those lines, I came across, um, uh, an article in the Texas Heart Institute journal, which, um, is really an interesting forum they have a um, segment that they call Peabody's Corner. And it's named after a doctor, Francis Weld Peabody, who, um, from what I've read, says that in 1927, he wrote the best and the most widely quoted article on patient care that has ever been published. Um, And one of the quotes is, For the secret of the care of the patient is in caring for the patient. Mm. That's really cool. Let me say it again. Yeah, that's deep. For the secret of the care of the patient is in caring for the patient. And um, this uh, Peabody's Corner, and I really encourage you to check it out. Uh, We'll have the links on the website. Different doctors um, submit to publish on in this corner. And the criteria for doctors submitting to the uh, Peabody Corner is one, focus on the interpersonal aspects of a specific patient doctor experience. That's the first criteria. And just think about how important that is. Um, Two, it must be written in a storybook fashion, you're telling a story, so they don't want it to be clinical. And, um, you know, many articles I've read about patient blame talk about how some doctors just cannot speak to a patient in layman's terms. They do medical speak and then the, the patient just sits there glazed over. Um, so, you know, um, it must be written in a storybook fashion. Three, contain no references. Um, you know, so they want it to be a, um, conversational type essay and for, um, not to exceed five double spaced transcript pages. And the one I read about, um, don't blame the patient just in a, um, Reader's Digest version, a, a doctor talks about how he was in a cardiac consultation with a patient named Joe and um this patient had been referred by a primary care p- physician and on his chart it said he was difficult to satisfy he had issues that were all in his head all of these were quotes um and so this joe tw- uh, 55 years old he um had some heart issues and he kept coming in he said he didn't have um chest pain but he um, was tired. He had excessive fatigue, and he really thought one of the medications he was on, digoxin, was the cause of it, that he could tell a difference when he was taking it. And all the doctors who saw him um, just wrote him off as a complainer and somebody who could not be satisfied. Well, this doctor who wrote for this Peabody's Corner this time, said, you know, most physicians get 15 minutes with their patients. And they have an overload of patients. And by and large, they do a good job with the time they have with the patients they have. But this doctor, Albert J. Miller, who um, is writing in Peabody's Corner this time, he works as a volunteer, a voluntary cardiac consultant. And he gets 45 minutes with each patient. So he sat down and talked to Joe and Joe discussed his concerns about the digoxin. And so, um, Dr. Miller said, look, let's try this. Let's cut your digoxin in half and you'll take a half dose in the morning, a half a dose in the evenings. And, um, we'll see. And he saw him back in two months and sure enough, Joe said his energy was back. He was a different person and um, everything turned around for him. Now, what Dr. Miller follows up with is this, and I quote, and even if the digoxin excess was not the cause and changing the dosage had only a psychological effect on Joe, at least we listened to his complaint and responded to his concern because there really is no definitive way to tell whether it was the extra digoxin or if it was Joe just thinking, well, I'm only taking half, I should have more energy. And really, it doesn't matter which it was, because it worked. His
1: complaint was he had excess fatigue. Well, and that's why the placebo effect is Mm, real. Yeah. And, you know, that's a perfect, perfect example of what it could be. I mean, it could have been the medication, but, you know, like you said, we, we don't know. Yeah.
0: This, um, Dr. Miller, I'm just intrigued, first of all, that he volunteers as a cardiac consultant, um, and that he thinks it's important enough to write about it on Peabody's Corner. And, and he states in this article, as Joe's case, case illustrates We too often blame the patients for not getting well, as they are supposed to do in response to our drugs, surgery, and various treatments. In doing so, we close the intellectual door to seeking proper answers and diagnoses. And doesn't that make sense? If we don't leave the door open to discuss with patients and take the time to hear their perspective— We can't learn. We can't learn about the treatments and what works for some and what doesn't work. Um, The patient is such an important and integral part of the equation when it comes to
1: medicine. Well, and what struck me in that last quote, um, it it could be, and you know, maybe I'm just sensitive to this because I am often told to stop taking things personally, but in that quote it's talked about how doctors you know don't believe that their treatment isn't working that they right you know and so a doctor could take that personally and you know that their recommended treatment that their surgery that their chemo whatever it is isn't working well that's not the doctor's fault right and and so you know they just need to realize that this is a Ongoing thing. Every person is different. We've said that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Every person is different and needs to be treated as such by their physicians. Well, and
0: I do love that they, um, this Texas Heart Institute journal, focuses this um, uh, segment on Dr. Peabody because he was so intent upon making the patient and the patient's perspective, putting it in the forefront. And he said, oftentimes the emphasis is on the disease Mm. rather than on
1: the patient who has the disease. Well, and how many times have we heard people say, I am more than my cancer. Exactly. I am more than my story. I'm more than my infertility. I am like, I'm more than that. It's a part of me. It's who, you know, a part of my body and the rest of my life, but I'm way, way more than that.
0: Yeah. So we want the
1: attention on the patient. Well, and, you know, one of the things that, um, when mom and I were talking about blaming people for their disease, I immediately went to, well, a lot of people blame a lot of my ailments or other people's ailments on their weight. And, you know, how does that affect it? And, um, and also other cancers, cause you know, HPV causes cervical cancer we know that um, if you have HPV it's a very high rate of uh, that progressing into cervical cancer if it isn't you know monitored and kept track of and so you know some people might think well just don't get HPV mm-hmm. and, and blame it on someone who who does um, and same with lung cancer if someone is a smoker people automatically jump to, well, you're going to get cancer or, well, you should have known you were going to get cancer. And, um, so mom found this really great article from the Washington post. What happens when the doctor blames you for your own cancer, how bias in the medical community hurts lung cancer patients. Um, and it was written by a pulmonary critical care physician in Oak from Oakland, California. Um, and just a couple of highlights, you know, she talks about, um, though treatments evolve, there's an old standby that the medical establishment keeps dishing out to these patients, shame and blame. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, that's how she kind of starts it. And because when a patient comes in and from her experience and they, um, are diagnosed with cancer immediately, the first question is, did the patient smoke? And when the response was no, she was training someone. And this trainee said, just sighed and shook her head and said, when a person who doesn't smoke gets lung cancer, that's just unacceptable. Hmm. And Monica goes on to say, so it's acceptable that you get lung cancer if you are a smoker. So no, it really doesn't. Um, And then she goes on to say that, you know, healthcare providers often use language that separates deserving from undeserving. Those are quotes patients. And, um, you know, just to think of who is deserving and who is not deserving just because of a pre existing condition or the state of their body. Um, you know, she talks about how 40% of Americans are considered obese. And, but um, the group that suffers the most as uh, being affected by this shame and blame are those that are obese. Meanwhile, they're, they're 40% of the nation. Um, and, you know, it, but it's our, our culture's tendency to frame certain illnesses as character defects. Mm. And that really struck me that, you know, it's it's a culture and your disease could be considered a character defect. Because if you're fat, you don't work out enough. You're lazy and, you know, you you eat too much. And, and that may not be the case.
0: I read in one article that um, patients are often labeled as non-compliant. And um, this particular doctor, and again, all of these links will be on our web web page, um, says that now some some hospitals are changing that language to (laughs) non-adherent. Like that's any better. And, And you just think, why are we dwelling
1: on verbiage And not on how to fix it. (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, it's Monica in the same article about lung cancer talks about how there are so few studies um, about patient care and measuring how physicians are biased. There's people don't want to study that because it's physicians studying it and, you know, take the speck out of your own eye before or plank out of your own eye before taking the speck out of uh, another's. Um, But In one study that does exist, she uh, says that patients often uh, asked fewer questions during visits. The doctors ordered fewer tests and were offered suboptimal therapies because of the bias towards smokers. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and if you think about it, where do we draw the line Um, If we are biased and we think that someone caused their own issue, where do you draw the line? You know, what about somebody who um, runs a stop sign and is in a car wreck and they have injuries? Well, they're going to get treated in the ER.
1: Um, Or a drunk driver. Yes. They put themselves in that position and... Yes, they do it to themselves, but, you know, do no harm is the first, you know, code of the medical professionals. And so, um, but what's really interesting, I think the kicker in this article, she goes on to stay, to say that um, the stigma goes far beyond the medical community. Lung cancer accounts for 25% of our nation's cancer deaths, but receives only 10% of cancer research dollars. Back to that funding. Yeah, that disparity in research funding and and um you know, she says that some in the field believe that donors give less to lung cancer research because of get this of the perception that the disease is self-inflicted. Oh wow.
0: And just think of all the people
1: Who get lung cancer who have never smoked. Well, and that she goes on to say, research and anecdotal data show that lung cancer patients receive less support from their friends and neighbors than those with other cancers, making their disease more difficult to bear. But what really astounded me in this article, um, she says, though the human instinct is to draw straight lines, the relationship between behavior and disease is far more complex. So, first, cigarette smokers are up to 30 more times likely to develop lung cancer. That is true. But 15 to 20% of people diagnosed with the disease have never smoked. Wow. 15 to 20%. Yeah. I mean, that, those are not small numbers. Um, and, you know, she goes on to say there are tremendous health risks associated with tobacco. We understand that. But the majority of smokers do not develop lung cancer. And so this has just been a generational, you know, we've learned for years and years and years that lung cancer is caused by smoking. Smoking causes lung cancer. Um, But she, but she concludes that a number of genetic and environmental factors can increase one's risk, irrespective of tobacco use.
0: Well, I think it's kind of an easy scapegoat type thing to, to point fingers uh um at behaviors i i also was interested to read some articles about um medical malpractice and um a couple of them one is entitled blaming the patient a common defense tactic in medical malpractice cases and another one is flying blind why do we keep blaming the victims of medical errors And, um, in that one, and again, these will be on our website, which
1: is (laughs) www.downthereaware.com.
0: Yes. Those links will be there. Um, this one talks about from University of Southern California, um, a patient dies in the operating suite and a counter narrative begins to unfold. The patient was old. The patient was frail. They failed to tell the doctor about a medication they were taking. They did not follow the preoperative protocol. The list goes on and on. And um, this particular doctor says the most important message is that the errors and preventable deaths are far too common and the patient context, age, illness, life choices, must be disassociated from medical errors and not used to mitigate their occurrence uh, he says, I have this firsthand in writing about medical errors. Hospital executives and physicians have pointed to other issues patients had to explain the deaths. They were smokers. They were obese. They had a chronic illness. Yes, those are all risk factors. But whether an obese smoker with diabetes dies today or 20 years from today may be entirely because of a preventable medical error.
1: Well, and that's really striking that, you know, because of someone's risk factors and their behavior, it doesn't cover up a mistake. If the surgery is perfect, that's something else. right? But you, you know, as a physician, you would think that you have lives in your hands. You want to make sure that you do everything by the book. I, it reminds me, Grey's Anatomy started last week. And it reminds me of an episode when Meredith is early, early, she's a resident and she pops a glove with her fingernail mm. and a patient, it's a heart patient and they have complications later. And she was hesitant to tell anybody that I could have nicked his heart with my fingernail and it ended up that it wasn't her fault, but it's just that, that hesitancy mm-hmm. instead of saying right when it happened, this happened it you know it didn't cause anything but it could have um and so that was a big learning lesson for for Dr. <laughs> Meredith Gray um but you know i think and certainly and i i feel like i have a past to say this as an obese person but we certainly understand that there are healthy lifestyles absolutely and that it is important to take on a healthy lifestyle and do everything you can to live the longest life you can with what you have. Um, eating well, exercise, all of that stuff, taking your medication, getting your annual exams, giving preventative exams, things like that, all necessary. Um, but that's no reason to blame somebody if they're not following through on that and you know this. There's a body positivity movement where health at every size, and I follow some pretty crazy TikTokers who are large women, but they are working out and they're doing some hard stuff. And so, you know, that's a whole other conversation of does you know health equate to your size? We know that it doesn't, and so um, we need to make sure that you just don't put anybody in a box and you know, say, well, you're obese, so you're going to get X, Y, and Z, or that's because you have X, Y, and Z.
0: Or you're not going to get the care, the quality of care you should get, or other people do get, because they're a different size, or they aren't a smoker, or, you know, they don't have diabetes, uh, whatever, the, the really the bottom line is, you um, Patients should be taken care of, get the best care no matter what, even if their actions or daily behaviors contributed to whatever's wrong with them. We're not condoning that. We're not saying all that's okay. We're just saying um, if you enter a hospital and you have an ailment, the ailment should be handled medically and you should be um, attended to and personally for. and cared for as a patient
1: yeah you know we see that with um, addiction people who suffer with addiction, oftentimes they're dismissed in emergency rooms because, oh, you've been here before. You're just here for pain meds or whatever it may be, but they could have a genuine issue. And, um, you know, so I think that's also, uh, something we could talk about forever on this podcast, but, um, yeah, it's just, we want to be treated well by our medical professionals and we should hold them to that standard. Ask your questions well, and if if um, there is a medical error, or
0: if there is some bias because of a person's behavior or size, um, if those are owned up to, and those are addressed, then there are many important, valuable lessons to be learned
1: from that, so it doesn't continue. We certainly are only scratching the surface on this topic. I feel like it could be a continued conversation for a long time there are so many facets of it and you know as it relates to gynecologic health as it relates to our overall health um, and our choices and our behaviors and how that affects how doctors perceive us and how they treat us and care for us so um, thanks mom for bringing this topic to the table you're welcome Um, you know I think it's really great that Uh, We share the responsibilities of finding topics and coming up with ideas because this week was not my week (laughs) to to think of it because it's been crazy. Well, and thanks to Kate Bowler
0: for sharing her story and uh, we certainly wish her the best. I'll wrap it up by saying she has undergone some um, immunotherapy in a clinical trial and is doing very well. Um.
1: So we wish her the best and look forward to reading her second book. And also she has a TED talk that we will put on yes. um, the website and in our show notes as well. Thanks for listening.